Welcome. This is Raul Lowry Contreras. This is the Contreras Report and Hispanic View of the USA. We have so much to talk about. I tell you, every day, it just loads me up with information that I need to pass on to you and to discuss. So first, let's talk about the Attorney General of the United States announcing that the case against Michael Flynn, Lieutenant General retired from the United States Army, that that case has been dropped. Dropped. Not vindicated, not found one way or the other, but dropped. What's interesting is that General Flynn pled guilty twice to two separate federal counts of lying to federal officers and to representing Turkey without being a registered foreign agent. He pled guilty twice. But now the case has been dropped, ostensibly because FBI agents maneuvered, conspired, plotted to get Flynn to lie so that they could charge him with lying to a federal officer. Now, that's the reason that's given by Flynn's supporters. But they neglect to mention that he pled guilty twice. He wasn't found guilty by a jury. He wasn't found guilty by a judge. There was no trial. He pled before the trial. So to say he was vindicated, as Matt Vespa, V-E-S-P-A, a writer for Town Hall, says, he also says, wrote, President Obama had to have known, quote unquote, about the conspiracy by FBI agents. But he offers no proof. He just says he had to have known. Well, how did he have to know? And he says that Flynn was vindicated. Flynn was not vindicated. So let us lay that to rest. Next, we want to talk about President Trump and what he had to say about a video that former President George W. Bush issued the other day. President Bush, in honoring healthcare workers in the fight against the coronavirus pandemic, said, in the final analysis, we are not partisan combatants. We are human beings, equally vulnerable and equally wonderful in the light of God. We rise and fall together, and we are determined to rise. Unquote. That reminds me of a motto that I personally live by that was uttered by William Faulkner, famous writer, novelist, who was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1949. And here's what he said that I like to live by and I like to quote. Man shall not only endure, he shall prevail. Again, let me repeat what George W. Bush said. In the final analysis, we are not partisan combatants. We are human beings, equally vulnerable and equally wonderful in the light of God. We rise and fall together, and we are determined to rise. So, what did President Trump say to this? Hmm. He said, quote, where was he, Bush, during impeachment calling for putting partisanship aside? He was nowhere to be found in speaking up against the greatest hoax in American history, unquote. Mr. Trump, you say some really dumb things occasionally. Every other day, maybe. 
This is one of the most stupid things you've ever said in your life. The impeachment, sir, was not a hoax. It was an exercise of a provision, specific provision, in the Constitution of the United States. The House of Representatives is empowered by the Constitution to impeach for high crimes and misdemeanors. They found you committed a high crime and misdemeanor when you asked a foreign government to help you in your campaign by investigating Joe Biden. They found that to be a high crime and a misdemeanor, period. The impeachment, sir, was not a hoax. It was a legal exercise, exercised by the only body in the entire world that can do what they did, impeach the president of the United States. You're lucky, sir, that the Senate is partisan and convicted you. I didn't, didn't, I'm sorry, didn't convict you. The House impeached you, the House, the Senate did not convict you. You're very, very lucky. But let me just leave it at this. You swore when you were sworn in as president on January 20th of uh, 2017, you swore to defend and protect the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution, sir not yourself. You have never explained who held up the military aid to the Ukraine, Mr. Trump. You have never told us who gave the order. It's something we would like to know. We're trying to help the Ukraine fight a war and to hold up war material for political reasons. Who gave the order, sir? Until you answer that, the hoax lies with you, sir. In the state of Georgia, there is a criminal prosecution going on right now that is surprising a number of people. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation was asked by the governor to investigate a case in which a videotape popped up on the internet that shows a young black man being killed by two armed white men. The incident took place in February, and this is now May. Where was the videotape all this time? We know from the man who took it that he gave it to the police the same day. The police in this Georgia town had the videotape. The district attorney had the videotape, but we didn't see it until the other day. When the family of the young black man who was killed released it through their lawyer. The lawyer somehow found it and released it, and now the whole world started screaming. Why weren't these two white men arrested in February? They were armed, they were chasing a man, jogging down the street, and then wind up killing him. That's probable cause. If he wasn't armed, that's probable cause for an arrest right there. But the local police and the district attorney didn't arrest anybody. It wasn't until this videotape showed up that the Georgia Bureau of Investigation entered the case. The governor ordered them to enter the case. And within 48 hours, they arrested the father and the son. Justice will, will be done one way or the other, and it will take time. But even the second video that show, has shown up showing the young man, apparently the young man, 
walking into a house under construction, walking off the street into this house and coming out a couple of minutes later with nothing in his hands. He didn't take anything that we could see on the videotape. And even that it's not a crime because for one thing, we don't know if there was somebody in there that he was talking to or somebody that called him and called and had him come inside to talk to him. We don't know that because we can't see that. So we will find out. But there's, as the, the director of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation said, there was plenty of probable cause to make an arrest. So let's see what happens. But that just can't go, keep happening. You know, the South, that's the way the South was when I was growing up. I got to tell you, for those of you who are young or you who have no idea, the South was like that every day. There was just every single day an incident occurred somewhere in the South or a Negro, as they used to call him, would be found hanging from a tree because he smiled at a white woman. I'm sorry, but that's the old South, and it looks like it's still alive in the new South, at least in the state of Georgia. We shall see. President Trump has a policy to try to corral a Chinese company named Huawei, H-U-A-W-E-I. It's a huge manufacturer of communications equipment. It is very involved in the 5G construction that's going on around the world now. 5G meaning the fifth generation of communications. As you all know here, if you pay any attention, the 5G is going to increase our ability to communicate with mobile phones and computers by a factor of five or ten uh, uh, better than we're getting now and make instant communications instant, truly instant. And uh, uh, right in the middle of all this is this Chinese company. Well, it would be all right if it was a Chinese company owned by stockholders, a nice big corporation and where you and I could buy stock in it and, uh, and have some say in who runs it. We can't do that because it looks like the Chinese government owns Huawei. And if they don't own it, they at least control it politically with the Chinese, through the Chinese Communist Party. We can't have that kind of activity going on around us because that means somebody's spying on us or is capable of spying on us in our innocent everyday activity as individuals, as a company, as a city, as a state, as a country. We cannot allow that to happen for military reasons and for no other reason. So what Trump needs to do is he's already put an embargo on American companies selling component parts to Huawei. That he's done. But he needs to put on another embargo uh, limiting anybody that does trade with the United States from dealing with Huawei, the Chinese company. In other words, if you want to import things into the United States from Great Britain or from Italy or from Hungary or wherever, then you cannot deal with Huawei. Much like the embargo that we have on trading with Iran. We prohibit companies from doing business with us that do business with Iran. We need to do the same thing with Huawei. A Chinese communist cannot be trusted any farther than you can pick them up and throw them. It's just that simple. We cannot trust any communists, much less the Chinese communists. 
So we need to do something about Huawei, and I mean do it now. We cannot wait any longer. Let's talk about entertainment in the USA. Jimmy Kimmel, the late night host of ABC, has stuck his big fat shoes into his big fat mouth again by showing an edited video that is a moving lie about the vice president of the United States, Mike Pence. Mike Pence was helping some workers unload a van of medical supplies and they were in cardboard boxes. That was taped by the video cameras, the news cameras that were there. Then when they finished with the boxes that had medical supplies in them, Mike Pence, there were empty boxes left, and he says, hey, can I pick up some empty boxes and carry them in front of the TV cameras? Everybody laughed, it was a joke because he'd already been doing it for several minutes of picking up boxes with stuff in it. Well, Jimmy Kimmel, all he showed on his show was the part where he says, these are empty boxes, can I carry them in front of the TV cameras? That, ladies and gentlemen, is a lie, is a lie by omission. Kimmel lied. And it's not the first time he lied, but this time it was directed at the vice president of the United States. Before, he had just insulted Mexican-Americans, Hispanics. Yeah. Well, for some people, that's okay. The president of the United States insults Mexicans and at every opportunity, at least until recently. So Jimmy Kimmel was just, you know, doing what the president of the United States has done. And here's why and when he did it. Some years ago, Public Broadcasting, PBS, announced that they were going to show a documentary about World War II called The War, produced by Ken Burns, who produced the documentary called The Civil War, which was so fabulous. And here's what he did. What he did is he picked several people, I think six total, four or, four or five of them were white, one was black, or one or two of them were black, and uh, he had them tell their stories. They were from separate cities in the United States or separate towns. Well, the one from California was from Sacramento and there was one from the South and, and whatever. And they told their stories and then he backed it up with film. Well, they were all white and one black. And Hispanic veterans got upset about that and they protested and they protested and they gathered up veterans groups and what have you to protest. And eventually Ken Burns was forced, was forced to go interview some Mexican-American veterans and include their stories in the final production. Fine. Well, Kimmel made fun of that, and he insulted Mexicans in the process. But what does he care? He's from Las Vegas. He went to UNLV, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, for a year, and then transferred to the University of Arizona, and uh, that's the last we heard of his being educated. He did not serve in the military. I researched him as carefully as I could, he never served in the military, period. That is the end of that story. So here's what he did. Because the Hispanics were protesting, they wanted to be a part of the action of this documentary, which they fully deserved to be. The United States Department of Defense estimates that between three and 500,000 Mexican-Americans served in World War II. We don't know for sure because they weren't classified differently. They were classified. In those days, they classified two groups of people in the military, white and black. Mexicans aren't black, so they classified them as white. 
So we don't know for sure. We do know that uh, between 2.3 and 4.7% of all the millions who served in World War II were Mexican-American. That is between 300,000 and 500,000. We know that. But here's what Kimmel did. You know, you remember the picture from Iwo Jima of the Marines raising the flag? There were six Marines and a sailor, a, uh, uh, a corpsman, a medical corpsman. And they raised the flag. This was one of the most famous photographs ever taken in the history of the world. And uh, what Kimmel did is he had a larger version. He had one enlarged. And then on the heads of the Marines, he had a put they, somebody put sombreros on them. He thought that was funny. And his audience giggled and thought that was funny. What he didn't know, or if he did know, then again, as another lie, was that Audie Murphy, a white Anglo-Saxon, actually Murphy, probably Irish, um, soldier from Texas, was the highest decorated, most decorated, Veteran of World War II, Audie Murphy from Texas. Guess who his number two was? Cleto Rodriguez from San Antonio, Texas, who went on to serve uh, his career. He survived the war and went on to serve and retired in the 60s. Second most decorated soldier, military man in the history of the United States. And Jimmy Kimmel insulted Cleto Rodriguez and people like him and me by putting sombreros on top of their heads as they raised the flag on Mount Suribachi in the Battle of, of Iwo Jima in 1945. Jimmy Kimmel, who never served 10 seconds in the military, any military. So to Jimmy Kimmel and all his fans, oorah! By the way, speaking of Hispanics in the military, the largest minority group in the United States Marines, my United States Marines, 18% are Mexican-American slash Hispanics. One or 2% might be Puerto Rican or, uh, or Cuban, but... Uh, the vast majority of them are Mexican-American. The Department of Defense says Hispanics are more likely to complete boot camp, to finish their military service, and to re-enlist than any other group in the Marines. Okay, let's talk about President Trump's wall on the border with Mexico. You know the wall that Mexico was going to pay for? Well, the price just went up, so I doubt if the Mexicans will come in with a dime any more than they put in right now, which is zero. Trump wants his wall, which is really a fence, painted black so that they will, during the, in the desert, the fence will get really hot and you won't be able to touch it. Although there's asbestos gloves, which would solve that problem. But he wants his wall, his fence, painted black. The problem with that is that it will cost $500 million more to do that. But some people estimate that it might cost, depending on the paint used, up to $6 billion more. Now remember, President Trump has spent $15 billion on building his fence so far. 
with 60% of that $15 billion coming from, being stolen from, the military budget of the United States Armed Forces. Okay, well, here we come to a very serious pro- problem. Now, the reason I pay attention to this is because, number one, I'm a constitutionalist, a real diehard fan of the Constitution. Number two, when I was in college at San Diego State, my last two years, I was chairman of the Associated Men's Judiciary Board. I was chairman of a committee that heard evidence about men, students, who had committed or violated some rule or regulation or law on campus. And if they were found guilty, then it was my duty to pronounce uh, whatever the punishment was, which could have been probation, suspension, uh, or even recommending to the administration of the university uh, expulsion. So I have some experience in this field. So I was upset when President Barack Obama's education department issued rules on how to treat sexual harassment under Title IX rules. Title IX is a federal law that was passed requiring a lot of things of universities and colleges, but mostly equality for women's sports. But the basic premise was if a university or a college received federal money, they had to follow federal rules. So President Barack Obama's education department issued rules governing how to handle sexual harassment. It was very simple. They set up what eventually wound up to be a a out-and-out kangaroo court. Any university official could bring a complaint against an individual student, any official, even if that official wasn't privy or wasn't present when the offense was allegedly committed or the alleged offense was committed. Okay? The university would appoint one person to investigate sift through the evidence, determine what the evidence was, and then make a ruling which could as recommend expulsion, suspension, probation, or whatever else they had on, on, on hand to do. One person. And the complaint didn't have to be filed by the victim. It could be filed by anybody, just somebody who heard it 15th hand. And also, you could be charged and punished for doing something that was perfectly legal outside the college campus. For example, let's say some guy got upset and so a woman in the cafeteria stood up and called her a dirty bitch. Under the Barack Obama rules, that person could be charged, found guilty, and punished calling somebody a dirty bitch. The new rules have just come down from the Department of Education. They're a little different. And they're based on the Constitution of the United States. The university could not have one person handle the whole case. The university can issue a complaint can can handle a complaint. The complaint must be made by the victim or by the victim's parents. No more outsiders. Number two, there is no longer a single investigator. 
The university could have all the investigators it wants, one or a hundred, but the evidence would be looked at by a different person. And the decision to punish or not to punish would be made by that person. And the complaint has to be made by the parents or by the victim personally. Now, also excluded, you cannot file a complaint against a guy who calls a woman a dirty bitch because dirty bitch is protected speech in the First Amendment of the United States. That's not only my thought. The United States Supreme Court some years ago, in the case of an Indian over in Arizona, uh, who was, uh, the police were trying to pull over in this town and he dashed uh, and speeded onto the reservation and then pulled up and parked and turned around and he flipped off the two officers who followed him into the Indian reservation. Uh, they had no jurisdiction there, but they went anyway. Uh, he flipped them off with his middle index finger laughing. They arrested him for an obscene gesture towards law enforcement. There is no such law, but anyway, they arrested him and he took it all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said they ruled that his behavior was boorish but it wasn't illegal. It was protected speech. So, in the new rules on the Title IX thing, is the conduct must be offensive to a reasonable person and not protected by the Constitution. Now, the conduct must be offensive to a reasonable person, and it must be severe and pervasive. So calling somebody a dirty bitch wouldn't qualify under all of those regulations, all those rules. Okay? A reasonable person could find dirty bitch to not be that offensive. And it's certainly some people could find that it wasn't severe and pervasive. It wasn't like he called her that 28 times in front of uh, 28 different audiences. So the new rules strike at censorship and they provide the same protections the Constitution does. Because now, before, the victim or the complainant could not be cross-examined by anybody. The accuser or the accuser's lawyer or whoever. But now, the complainant must be cross-examined if the accused wants it. By a third party, yes. Can't do it by himself, but by a third party. And naturally, and without even my bring it up, you know who's opposing this. The victim rights advocates plan to fight the new regs in court because it takes us back to the good old days, quote unquote. I go further, it's a, and I say, it takes us back to the good old days of the United States Constitution. Thank you very much. Okay, we're going to start a discussion right now about uh, citizenship, natural-born citizenship, because there was an essay published in the Claremont Review of Books. I know most of you have never heard of it, but it's Claremont, the Claremont Mudd uh, uh, College Group in uh, California, very respected institutions of higher learning and uh, Caltech and um, MI, um, the uh, uh, Harvey Mudd College and the Claremont Colleges, they're all together. And, and an interesting place. I'd like to have gone to college there myself, but I didn't. Anyway, a writer by the name of Christopher Caldwell has brought up the dual citizenship argument 
And he's presented a bunch of arguments. And they're all aimed at the 14th Amendment, and especially the Natural Born Citizenship Clause. His arguments against dual citizenship, and I bring this up because I am a dual citizen. I was born in Mexico. The Mexican Constitution of 1917 says, because I was born in Mexico, I am a Mexican citizen, period. But my mother was born in San Diego, California. And the Constitution says, of the United States says that she's a natural born citizen. And Congress has stepped in and said that her children, no matter where they're born, are citizens of the United States. And when I went to the Department of Justice with an application for a certificate of citizenship, there was a hearing. My mother and I were there, had all of our paperwork, and a guy took 10 minutes to decide, oh, of course you're a natural born citizen. And it took me longer to get the certificate typed up than it did to get it uh, awarded to begin with. Okay, here's uh, uh, Caldwell's arguments against dual citizenship. Dual loyalty. You can't be loyal to two different countries. Well, yes, you can, unless they're fighting each other. And I've faced that question a million times, that infamous Roger Hedgecock, that big mouth that was on San Diego Talk Radio, once asked me on the air while I was in studio if there was a war between the United States and Mexico, what side would I be on? Me, already by that time a veteran of the United States Marines, excuse me, Mr. Hedgecock, who never served, who was not drafted because he had pimples on his face. And by the way, every Jewish person is asked that question too. If there was a war between the United States and Israel, what side would they be on? Stupid question. Okay. There's a question, according to Caldwell, against interconnectivity of universal human rights and citizenship. In other words, he says that the whole world is going to this blending of sovereignty and citizenship, and therefore what's happening is that um, that uh, the two universal rights and citizenship are blending together. That's not true. But he says dual citizenship corrodes sovereignties. In other words, if I'm a citizen of the United States, which I am, and I'm a citizen of Mexico, which I am, that somehow the two are, are uh, breaking up the sovereignty of the United States or Mexico. Nah, come on. The right to choose the regime under which he lives. Well, yeah, that's true. I was born in Mexico, came to the United States when I was three, lived in the United States until two years ago when I moved back to Mexico, just 20 miles on the Mexican side of the border. So I get to choose. Yeah, I don't have to have any special paperwork to live in Mexico or the United States. And I cross between the two. And I have an identity card from the United States called a Sentry Pass. Uh, and I have been vetted. I applied and vetted. I am not a criminal. I am not a felon. I am not a, uh, a spy, uh, as far as the government knows. And they issued me a card with a picture on it and a chip. And I go through the border. I fly through faster than a speeding bullet. Okay. I can avoid, or a dual citizen can avoid military conscription. Well... No, you can't, because between the United States and Mexico in 1940, there was a reciprocal draft agreement that said an American could be drafted in Mexico into the Mexican army, and a Mexican could be drafted into the American army, period. So you can't avoid it by going to the other country, not between the United States and Mexico. He says you can duck taxes. Well, everybody ducks taxes. 
You don't believe me? Ask President Donald J. Trump. See if he ducks any taxes. Let's see his tax returns. He says, Caldwell says, you can flee prosecution. You can go from the United States to Mexico and avoid being charged with murder. No, you can't. If you commit a crime in the United States and it's a felony, you can simply, with, uh, there's a procedure, some paperwork to file. The, district, the local district attorney fills out the paperwork, presents it to the nearest Mexican consul who accepts it on behalf of the Mexican government. The Mexican government evaluates it. And then, as is the usual case now, in serious cases, they arrest people and then they turn them over to the United States for trial. But they also retain the right to try that person in Mexico. And the American district attorney can send an assistant down to Mexico who can sit in with the prosecution and help with the prosecution. So Mr. Caldwell has no idea what he's talking about. And you can choose your life in a matter of life and death. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what he means by this. But if it's in the Claremont Review of Books, then he's probably a professor somewhere, and he really has no idea what he's talking about. But he refers to a decision, a, a dissent, in the famous case of the United States versus Wong Kim Ark in 1898, which determined that the clause, the natural birth clause, natural citizenship clause in the 14th Amendment, uh, all persons born in the United States or its territories are U.S. citizens, period. Uh, Justice Melville Fuller wrote the dissent. Justice Fuller maintained, and this guy Caldwell uh, agrees with him, that uh, uh, the 14th does not exclude from citizenship by birth children born in the United States of parents permanently located therein and who might themselves become citizens. Nor, on the other hand, does it arbitrarily make citizens of children born in the United States of parents who, according to the will of their native government and of this government, are and must remain aliens. In other words, that justice back in 1898 was a fool. What he was saying was, if another country objects and says, you can't make a citizen out of our citizen, then that's just tough breaks for the United States. No, 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 no. The United States doesn't do that. That's not what the 14th Amendment does. The 14th Amendment says all persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens. Period. There are a lot of people, including the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, who don't believe that. He hasn't said much about it lately, but before he said it, when he became president, he said it. He said there are lots of people that disagree with that state. That, in other words, specifically, the child of an illegal alien mother or, or father cannot become a citizen because they're not. And this is what that judge Fuller said. They're not under the jurisdiction of the United States. Of course they are. The mother's not. The father's not. That is to say, they're here illegally. But that doesn't mean that they're loyal to another country, number one. Number two, it has nothing to do with the child. What they don't understand, what Trump and these people don't understand is the child is the child and it is the citizenship is his. Now, on naturalization, that's different. There's a system set up by Congress as mandated by the Constitution. And the, the, the law says that when a, an adult male is granted citizenship, naturalized, 
that children are automatically granted citizenship as per the law. But that has nothing to do with being born here. If an illegal alien father and an illegal alien mother sneak across the border and she has a child in the United States, they are not citizens. But the child is. Period. That's what the Wong Kim Ark case was about in 1898. There's no question about it. There's no argument. There's no decent argument. That guy, Judge Fuller, was an idiot. He's the, one of the guys that voted for, for the Jim Crow laws of 1895, the case that, that permitted the South to do what they did to terrorize the black community. So that shows what kind of an idiot he was. But at least the ones on the Supreme Court, uh, the other seven members of the Supreme Court, thought otherwise uh, on the question of citizenship, the, the vote was seven to two. So, I'm a dual United States Mexican citizen, and that's fine with me. And in case you're curious as to what side I would fight on in a war between the United States and Mexico, if you have to ask, you're not listening, hurrah, to my fellow United States Marines and my fellow United States citizens. I am happy as a clam at being a United States citizen. I'm delighted, I'm deliriously delighted to be an American citizen, a citizen of the greatest country the world has ever seen. I thank you for being there. Let me close out issue 102 of the Contreras Report and Hispanic View of the USA. I'm Raul Lowry Contreras, and I will see you again. Thank you. <laughs>